You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Well, hey, good morning. You doing all right? We had a full worship team up here today. We're going to build a bigger building just for the worship team. And uh, it's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, we can clap here. It's okay. I hear some of y'all sometimes you're like, can I? And I was like, yes, do it. All right, go for it. Um, you know, last it's so interesting because, you know, today there's like 400 people up here on stage as part of worship team. Last week there were two. And uh, I love it, the differences and, and all those different expressions and different ways that we can worship God. And, and even last week as um, Tim and Dylan were um, preparing and getting ready, making sure that everything was ready for the services and stuff, I'd walked in for a little bit and they were jamming out like coffee house style, and then next thing you know, I'm I'm out out here just a little bit. And all of a sudden, I'm like, man, I don't I recognize that song, but I don't recognize that song as like a, a worship song we've been doing. And so I, I stick my head in the door, and right as I stick my head in the door, I see them like doing motions, like they've got a little song that they're doing, and it I mean it sounded like all the pretty ladies dance like this, 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 and they were doing this whole thing, and so. I don't know if that's because their wives were away at Woven and they had a little free time or what was going on. But I was like, I was in the back and I was like, next week, next week. And uh, so if, if that song comes out, I don't know what happens. But anyway, so, hey, listen, I'm glad that you're here. And uh, we're wrapping up a series entitled Daily Reminders. And we're thinking about this idea of, for us of what does it mean to, on a regular basis, consistently do we find success. We consistently do things to find success that other people do occasionally. And to what that means for us in our spiritual life and on our spiritual journey. And so we've talked about our spiritual habits over the last few weeks. And we, we could spend many weeks in this, but we're, we're not going to. But just kind of highlighting a few of them, talking about prayer, talking about serving last week. And today we're going to talk about one that everybody's just going to like, let's collectively groan together, okay? Today I'm going to talk about giving. Oh, Pastor Chris wants our money, right? No, 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 no. And so anyway, I want us to think about this idea of what giving is and, and what it looks like for us. And so how we can um, grow in our generosity is what we talk about here is that God has been extravagant with us. And so what does it look like for God to be extravagant with us in salvation? And what does it mean for us to respond in that way and to be amazed by his grace and to be generous with those around us? Um, just a little hint, if you look through the New Testament, Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. And that's because he understood how much money controls our heart and controls our thinking. And so this morning, I just want to dig into that topic. And so the first thing that I want you to know is from Psalm 24.1. And Psalm 24.1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The entire cosmos is God's. The world and all its people belong to him. So what does that mean? That everything that we own is literally God's and he's handed over to us and that we get to be stewards of it. And this is a principle all throughout scripture that God is the owner of all and that he has made us the managers of those things. So we don't really own anything. We're just the managers of it. We're the house manager. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, there's a story that Jesus tells us. We call it a parable. There's a story that reminds us that we are a house manager. In verse 42 and verse through 44 of that story, it says this. 
A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and find that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all that he owns. We're reminded of two things in the story. One is that there's this principle of that the Lord is returning. He will be returning at a time. And so the master has gone away. And while he's away, we're, we're in charge of stewarding the house that he's given us, the responsibilities. But that also we're the house manager. And so that he's given responsibilities. He's given us finances. He's given us time. He's given us resources. He's given us gifts and talents. And all of those things that he's given us, we're the steward and managers of those things. Matter of fact, it reminds me, if you grew up in church, maybe went to VBS or Sunday school or something, that you've heard the story maybe of Joseph. And Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, and he became the house manager of one of the top guys of the uh, Pharaoh of Egypt named Potiphar. And everything that Joseph touched, the scripture says, it was blessed. He was a really good manager of Potiphar's house. And so every time Potiphar would go away to do the Pharaoh's business and he would come back, Joseph had multiplied the house of Potiphar. And so every time Potiphar's like, well, listen, if you're so good at this, you're even better at it than I am. I'm going to continue to hand you responsibilities. I'm going to continue to, to hand you my things. And so that I, I can be blessed. I'm getting the reward of your management. And that's the idea for us is that God has given us our house to manage and that he wants us to be faithful stewards of what he's given us. And he wants to bless us if we're faithful. And Joseph was faithful. Even in a moment where he had an opportunity to be unfaithful to Potiphar, he chose not to be, even to the point of going to jail for it. Well, Luke 12:48, that same story ends like this. It says, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. This is a relationship thing. In Christ, we have been given much. And because much has been given to us in Christ, there is much required of us. Our life has more purpose and more meaning now in Christ than it did before because we have a higher calling and we have a king that we serve. And the king has gone for a little bit. After his death, burial, and resurrection, he's gone for a little bit, but he's going to return. And he's expecting us right now as house managers to take care of the responsibilities that he's entrusted to us. So each one of us have different levels of finances, but whatever that level is, you're responsible for it. Every one of us in this house has different types of talents and skills and time. And all of those things are what God has entrusted us with. And he wants us to manage those things well. And if we manage those things well, Scripture says what we sow, we will also reap. So if you sow well, you will reap. You're good manager. So God owns all of it, but we're entrusted to be a house manager for this time. And so what are we then responsible for since we're managing the house. Jesus tells another story in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, the parable of the three servants. And the three servants are guys that, again, the master goes away, and whenever he's going away, he gives the servants, based upon their talents, based upon their skills, he gives them three different levels of entrustment. The one guy gets five bags of silver. How many of y'all would sign up for that? All right. One guy got two bags of silver. That still sounds pretty good to me. 
And then another one got one bag of silver. All right, and here's what the passage says. Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was away. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and a one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money, and he earned five more. Sounds pretty good, right? You're in for that? The servant with two bags invested and also went to work, and he earned two more as well. So both of them doubled the investment of the owner of the house. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Which, in reality, doesn't sound like a bad thing, because if you think that your master is a harsh master, then you're going to do whatever you can to not get in trouble. And so at least I don't want to lose the money, so I'm going to go hide it, and I'm going to bury it, and when he comes back, you can have a little marker, and you know, hey, I'm going to get it and pull it back and say, hey, here's my bag. Not understanding that the master says, hey, I want you to be a steward of it, and manage it, actually grow my money. So to those... At the end of that story, again, it says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Understand, part of this this story is is that our view of our master matters. If you understand that God the Father loves you and cares for you and he's entrusted you with some things to manage, finances, resources, all those skills and talents, and you understand that he loves you and he cares for you, and then you will manage his resources differently than if you think he's a harsh master waiting to catch you and get in trouble and to harm you and to hurt you. If you have a master that you think is going to harm you and hurt you, then you're going to be the one that goes and hides things and like, listen, I don't want to get in trouble. So I'm going to do what I can to think that I'm not going to get in trouble. But if you have a master, you think, listen, he's there encouraging me. He wants me to do my best. He wants me the the fullest life for me. Then you're going to go treat the resources he gives you a little bit differently. You're responsible for how you use what God gives you, whether it's your time, your talents, or your treasure. But our view of God also matters, our perspective of him. God owns everything. We're the house manager we're responsible for what and what he's entrusted to us to use the gifts for his purposes. So how do we do that? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to sit there for a minute. How do we understand how we're to take care of the resources that God's given us? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24, Jesus uses this interesting illustration of that we should have a good eye a healthy eye, and not a bad eye. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a house where I didn't grow up in a house. My kids grew up in a house where my daughter played softball. And if you've ever had to endure softball with girls, and I love softball, so here, listen, it's a great sport. I think it's even maybe even better than baseball because it's moving fast and all that different stuff. But the thing about softball that can kind of, if you're new to softball, that can kind of throw you off is They have a cheer for everything. No lie. You could strike out swinging and not even come close to the ball, and they are going to encourage you. Right? It's just a whole different sport. I tried to get my son to do it in baseball, and I was like, dude, you need to do one of these. He's like, "Mm -mm, 
not happening. And so it's just a different deal. And so, I mean, I got to learn all of them and, and uh, hear all of them. And, um, and it changed from, you know, like 12-year-old softball to, to high school softball. It kind of became a little different. And then you get to college softball, and it's a whole other thing. Because I was, I was thinking, hey, college softball, they don't do that. Mm-mm. They double down on it. And so you could hear it. Even there was times that we weren't able to see our daughter, like, go visit and watch her play. But on college, you, you, could, she, you could hear her. She's got that voice, the gift of that voice. And so you could hear. And so there was this one softball cheer. There's actually three different versions of it. And it talks about having a good eye. And, and I, she sent it to me and I'm like, I, I, I don't have that kind of rhythm, but it's like G double O D E Y E. Good. eye, good. eye. it went high. You saw low, whatever it is, you know, all this different stuff. And and I'm like, and it's like every pitch that's not a strike. It's like, good eye, good eye. Da, 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 da. I'm like, good Lord, can somebody have a bad eye? <laughs> like, listen, that pitch was nowhere near. You don't have to have a good eye to know that wasn't a strike. All right. But this is the idea is that we're to have a good eye. And even my daughter in college, um, one of the school, other colleges was doing a study. And so they brought in some doctors and these doctors had discovered that um, you can do some eye stuff and you can do a little test with the eyes and you can tell that um, some girls struggle with high pitches, some girls struggle with low pitches or outside, inside and all this different stuff. And so they did this study and they determined that um, that's actually a natural thing. And so they can tell you from this test that they do on the eye of, hey, listen, you're, you're susceptible to the high strike. Because you don't see it. You just don't, your eye, the way that your eye perceives it coming out of the hand and all these different depth perception and even the movement of the ball, all this different stuff. And so I'm like, I could have given, I could have told you that you were susceptible to high strike because I've watched you swing at it for year after year, right? But there's this deal. And so they actually, when they determine that, like by this test, they then begin to teach you how to train your eye so that you won't be susceptible to the high pitch or to the low pitch or to the to the curve or to the screwball that you can quickly pick up more quickly pick up that down. So they're training your eye to have a good eye. And so here, this is what Jesus is talking about is that all of us in our pursuit of righteousness, all of us in Christ are desiring to look and think and act and love and be generous like Jesus. And that in Christ, when we first come to a relationship with Christ, all of us have bad eyes. All of us have some unhealthiness about our eyes, but when we gain perspective of who Jesus is and who we are, we begin to train our eyes, begin to train our heart, begin to train the way that we love and care for people through this training of the good eye and the bad eye. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24, let's read that together. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them. And where thieves break in and steal. Let's stop. That seems pretty easy, right? If you store up things here, if you've got storage bins, you've got a garage, you've got all this different stuff. If you store something and lock it up long enough, something's going to happen to it. Rust is going to happen to it. Somebody could steal it, all kinds of different things. One, because you're not using it. It's just stuff that you're just kind of grabbing and taking and saying, listen, this gives me worth and value and identity, and so I need it and I can't get rid of it. How many of you have some stuff like that? That you're like, hey, it needs to go to the thrift store. It needs to go to wherever. I need to donate it to someone else, and you don't. Even there's a, a Geico commercial recently, you know, where the guy's training the guy, people to not be like their parents, you know. 
And there was one even the other day that I saw, and this guy walks up to the dumpster, and he's throwing out manuals. And he's like, hey, when's the last time that you had that, that uh, Instapot? And he's like, it's been 10 years. And he goes, well, you don't need the manuals anymore, right? So you got to get rid of those things. So some of us are like that. Like we just kind of hold on to things because we might need it. And so here, this is what Jesus is saying is, listen, quit storing up stuff here on earth because this can't go with you. And those things don't give you worth and value. Those are not treasures that you need to be storing up in Christ. Those aren't the treasures that we need to be storing up. So the second part of that, store treasures in heaven, which is an idiom. It's a a phrase of speech. It's a Hebrew phrase of speech. So when Jesus said, hey, store your treasures in heaven, his audience immediately knew that meant be generous with your neighbors. Give to charity. Give outside of yourself. Take, Take some of your money and begin to give it away. So store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Why? Because you're investing in other people, you're feeding them, you're sharing the gospel, and also you have an eternal perspective. That your investment is not more things for you, but it's you're giving to others so that their hearts and their minds can be drawn toward Christ. And that eternal thing is that you invest here, in people and in the kingdom, and you may not see the results now, but you'll see the results in eternity. That as you're walking the streets of gold, if, if you believe in that, that that's what heaven's going to be like, if you're walking the streets of gold and you walk next to somebody and they say, hey, listen, thank you for that $100 that you gave at Crosspoint for Zimbabwe. Because that $100 that you gave to Zimbabwe that, that adopted me for a couple of months, that allowed me to go to school. And because I went to school, I began to read. Because I began to read, I was able to read the gospel. And because I read the gospel, that changed my heart. And now I'm a doctor in Zimbabwe where once I was an orphan. And your $100 that you could have spent on a stake changed my heart and my life. And now we're in eternity together. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Listen, here's the difference. We can spend it all on ourselves or we can flip the script and say, hey, listen, I've, as I budget and I think about, I don't want to just store more things for myself to, to build up my worth and value. I want to see as many people as possible pointed toward Jesus so that heaven is full. And sometimes that means my hundred dollars that could have bought a new pair of shoes or a new dress or whatever is more important to someone else in Zimbabwe or Puerto Rico or feed the need than what I need. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves won't break in and steal them. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I'm going to admit, I'm a nerd if you don't already know that. And um, one of the nerd things that I do is I watch this show called The Curse of Oak Island. Anybody a believer? They're going to find the treasure. It's coming up. My kids give me an incessant hard time about this. Tuesday night, 9 o'clock, Curse of Oak Island, like everything stops to watch this. And I have it on DVR, so I will watch it again. I may have missed something, right? And uh, that's how much of a nerd. And, and so they're like, Dad, it's been like 12 seasons. I'm actually, I'm like, actually, they've been at it for 20 years, <laughs> But they keep finding more and more stuff. And I love history and all that different stuff. And, and they're like, Dad, why are you so invested in this? And I thought, you know what? I was thinking about that and thinking about this message in particular. And I thought, you know, I, I think I'm invested. But in reality, I'm just really interested. 
those guys, the brothers and all those that have put money and time and energy for the last 20 years to find this treasure, they are invested. Sometimes we think we're invested, but we're actually more interested than we are invested. And here's what Jesus is asking us. Where your treasure is, there your heart will go. So if we look at our checkbooks, we look at our bank accounts, we can calculate up our investment in different things, and you can see where your heart goes. Listen, we invest heavily in our kids, right? So our heart goes to that. It could be softball. It could be future farmers of America. It could be dancing. I mean, we, we invest heavily, right? So your, your heart goes toward that. And so Jesus is saying, listen, where you put your money, where you consciously decide to invest, your heart will follow there. There's, there's a string attached from the checkbook to the heart. And so where the money goes, your heart will go. And so Jesus is saying to us, are you interested in the kingdom? Or are you invested in the kingdom? Because if you're invested in the kingdom, if we're giving our time and our resources to the kingdom, then our heart is going to go there. We're going we're gonna to want to be a part of that. We're going to do the extra thing to see what happens. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, continuing on in our story, it says, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. That word body literally means soul. So your eye is like a lamp. It's, as, as you're opened up your eye, it's providing light to the entire soul, which means life, right? And so when your eye is healthy, when you have a good eye... Your whole body is filled with light. A good eye describes a person's attitude toward others. So we think eye, in Hebrew thinking, they think, yes, here's the eye, but what does it do? And the eye is a perspective toward other people. So when you have a healthy eye, you see people and you see them as an opportunity to invest and to build up and not tear down. How you can invest in them. Your eye is a lamp that provides light. But when your eye is unhealthy, when you have a bad eye, your whole body is filled with darkness. Your soul, your spiritual condition is actually dark. When you have a good eye, you see others and how you can invest and how you can care for them. And your whole light, your whole soul fills up with light. But when you have a dark eye, a bad eye, you don't even know how dark it is, it says. And the light that you think that you have is actually darkness. How deep is that darkness? How many of you have ever been into a dark place and you originally walk into a dark room and you can't see? And so you just kind of stop for a second. And what are you doing in that moment? You know that, one, you're, it's for safety and security. You don't know what's in front of you or around you. And so you kind of stop. And over a little bit of time, your eye begins to adjust. And so if there's any source of light coming into that room... Your eye will adjust and then you can begin to move forward and you can feel safe and secure to take a step. But there are places where it is so dark that there is no source of light and you cannot see. Your eye will not adjust. You can put your hand in front of your face and you will not be able to see it. And so this is what Jesus is talking about, is that if we have an unhealthy eye, the eye begins to get unhealthier and healthier and healthier. I know that's not good English, okay? But it begins to literally atrophy and die. And so that we don't even recognize that we went from a room where there was at least a little bit of source of light that we could walk safely and securely till we get to a point where our eye is dead, our soul is dead, and we're not even aware of the fact that we're walking in complete darkness. 
And then we're about to trip and to fall and to be hurt and to look like a fool because we think we're walking with confidence. That's a false confidence because our eye and our soul is completely dark. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if that light that you think you actually have darkness, how deep that darkness is. A good eye can see the needs of those around them and responds. It sees the needs around and responds. A bad eye thinks only of themselves. Put a little note. Two-year-old. Even Proverbs tells us, greedy people are bad eyes. Try to get rich quick, but they don't realize they're headed for poverty. Right? They're in complete darkness. It's all about me. I need, I need more. Verse, Proverbs 22.9. Blessed, the good eye, are those who are generous because they feed the poor. There's an eye test for righteousness. A good eye or a bad eye? You sing the cheer. Good eye, good eye. You should see the ball coming. Good eye, good eye. What's that mean? Am I seeing people? Am I seeing opportunities to care for people around me? That God has made me a house manager of the resource that he's given me. And I, and I don't know your financial situation. And for some of you, be like, hey, I, I don't have an extra two nickels at the end of the month to rub together to give to anyone else. God has given you other resources as well. Here's what I want you to hear from me today. This is not just about money. This is about everything that God has entrusted you with. That you have skills, you have talents, you have wisdom, you have experience, you have finances, and all of those things are a part of the house that God has given you to manage and to share with other people to make their lives better so that one more might come to know Christ. So from the Hebrew mind, this idea of eyes is also leads to this idea of, of obviously of seeing, right? And so in the Hebrew act, it's not just a mental activity to see, but there's an, a physical outcome that should happen. Even if you remember the story, there's a story of Abraham who had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, and they're still fighting, by the way. Hamas and Israel, those are Ishmael and Isaac. Um, and so these two brothers and Isaac was to be sacrificed. God had told Abraham, hey, I need you to sacrifice Isaac and go to Mount Moriah, go to this place. And so they begin the journey. And along the way, Isaac realizes, hey, we're about to have a sacrifice and I don't see anything to be sacrificed. And he asked dad, Abraham, he says, hey, where's the sacrifice going to come from? And Abraham's response is this. It's a good eye response. Abraham's response to his son, Isaac, he says, son, God has a good eye. The Lord will provide, and that word provide means the Lord will see with a good eye and be generous with us. And so Abraham, in that moment, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. He walked into probably the scariest moment of his life, and he knew the character of God. God had always been generous. God had always taken care of him. And so in that moment, when he was asking of him of the most expensive thing Abraham could possibly give, he says, the Lord will see and provide. And for us, what does it look like in those moments where God asks us to be generous? And we're like, but this gives me worth 
and value and meaning and purpose. And God says, let's set that aside. Because I want to be the thing that gives you worth and meaning and value and purpose. Even the last part of this Matthew chapter 22, or Matthew chapter 6, the very last verse says this, No one can serve what? Two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money or to your resources or to the things that make you, that you have built up so that you can have meaning and purpose and value in the image that you've worked so hard at. You can only worship one thing. Worship is to give ultimate place, power, authority, rights, and privileges to someone or something in your life. So my question for you this morning is, do you have a good eye or a bad eye? Are you interested in the kingdom or are you invested? Do you have limiting beliefs or liberated truths? Limiting beliefs or liberated truths? Liberating truths means that truth sets you free. In other words, God loves you and cares for you and will provide for you. Last verse I want to read. It's a verse that's kind of a strong verse, okay? It's Malachi 3.10. It says, bring all the tithes. And tithes is the first fruits of what you make, all right? So bring all the first fruits into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. This is the only time God says this in all of Scripture. What's he say? Put me to the test. In other words, he says, be generous and watch what I don't do. I will open up my storehouses for you. We reap what we sow. I want, I want to do something. I want to challenge you. I don't know where you're at in giving and all that different stuff. And I'm not asking you to even give, you know, hey, if you give $1,000, you'll get a sweaty thing for me and it's anointed or something. None of that stuff, all right? I don't want something from you. I truly want something for you. Hopefully you know me well enough now that you know that, that I'm not, we don't talk about money a whole lot here. Um, but I do want something for you. And so here's what I want to challenge you. Is we're going to do a 90-day giving challenge. So from today to the next 90 days. And if, if you haven't given before and you're just like, hey, I, I'm going to try this, then, then give $5 a week or whatever you determine. Just go away today and just think, hey, what can I begin to give to the kingdom and begin to give that. And if you give that here at Crosspoint, put a little note on your envelope, put a little note on your online giving or however you're going to do it. And our uh, person that keeps track of all that stuff, over 90 days, we'll, we'll keep track of how much you give. And after 90 days, if you don't sense that God has been moving and active in your life because he's changing your eyesight, then I, I, will, I will give that money back to you. If you give $10,000 and you're like, God didn't show up, I'm going to trust the scripture and I'm going to give it back to you. Is that okay? That's how much I believe that God wants something for you, not from you. It's all his. He lets us play with it. He wants us to manage it so that one more might come to know Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your extravagance with us. For God so loved the world that he gave it all. Father, may we be 
May you just work in our hearts. May you work in our eyes. May we have healthy eyes that as we see the needs around us that we can respond. But for some of us, that means that we need to look at our budgets and do away with some things because we're unable to respond right now because we're tied down to other things. And those things aren't necessarily good or bad, but but Father, if you're moving in our hearts to do some of these things, we can't be generous if we're tied down. And so, Father, I pray for this group of people that they would be liberated by the truth that we desire to worship you and worship you alone. And in that, we don't care about the opinions of our neighbors of what we own or don't own or what we look like or don't look like. The only opinion that matters to us, the only applause that matters to us, the only stage that matters to us is the stage in front of you and the applause of you as we worship you. Father, may you be brought glory and honor this week. Father, I pray that this passage in Malachi that put you to the test. Father, I pray that as people in this room decide, hey, I'm going to give a dollar a week or whatever it may be. Father, that in that, that you show yourself to be faithful and true in their lives that you have in mine and so many others in this room. Father, thank you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Crosspoint Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Crosspoint Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.